Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. Hello and welcome to The Daily from DSR. It's good to talk to you. I'm one of your hosts, David Rothkopf. I'm joined by your other two regular co-hosts, Chris Cotmar. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, thank you. Did you have a good weekend? Very good weekend. Excellent. In Florida. Oh, oh, geez. I'm jealous. Okay, and Riley Fessler. How are you doing, Riley? I'm doing well. Did you go to Florida for the weekend, too? Was I left out? I did not. I stayed in dreary D.C. Excellent. That's where I was, and I'm glad at least somebody suffered through it with me. Okay, um, Riley, what's your top story? So White House Budget Chief Shalani Young sent letters to Democratic and Republican leaders in the House and Senate earlier today um, with a warning about the funding for Ukraine drying up before year's end, um, saying that a clear lack of action before the end of the year could spell disaster for Ukraine. Uh, One of the quotes from the letters, uh, I want to be clear, without congressional action, by the end of the year, we will run out of resources to procure more weapons and equipment for Ukraine and to provide equipment from U.S. military stocks. And then later said, we are out of money and nearly out of time. Um, So one of the biggest results from this kind of fight over the budget that's been ongoing for months Chuck Schumer has indicated that he plans to hold a vote on the $106 billion aid package, uh, which includes $61.4 billion for Ukraine uh, this week. So we'll see if that moves forward. Obviously, what the biggest problem is House Republicans that are increasingly against aid for Ukraine. So curious to see how they overcome that hurdle. The U.S. is on the verge of what could be one of its biggest recent foreign policy catastrophes. And the author of that catastrophe is, um, well, the author is Vladimir Putin, but the pen with which he is writing this is little Mike Johnson. Uh, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, part of the uh, exuberant Russia caucus in the United States House of Representatives, is trying to block this money. Uh, is threatening not to approve anything unless H.R. 2, a big Republican immigration measure with a bunch of draconian components that are completely unacceptable to Democrats, um, is embraced. Uh, That's not going to happen. It will never pass the Senate. It would never be signed by the president. Uh, And an impasse here is different from an impasse with um, the congressional budget, where we end up um, you know, going to uh, continuing resolutions. The impasse here will be felt on the battlefield in Ukraine. Russia will gain 
Um, uh, the United States will lose. Ukraine will lose. Our allies will lose. Uh, uh, democracy in Europe will be put at greater risk. Security in Europe will be put at greater risk. And who's going to trust us again? Who's going to say, oh, yeah, the U.S., we can count on them? Uh, our NATO allies, our other allies, uh, unlikely. Uh, this is a very big deal. It has gone under the radar now for weeks because we've been distracted by other things. It is now time to make it a top priority. Chris. Fighting has resumed in Gaza, and so has the corruption trial of Benjamin Netanyahu, um, who is on trial for several um, fraud, bribery, and breach of trust um, charges. They delayed the trial, uh, which began earlier this year in May uh, when Hamas attacked Israel. Um, But the resumption of the trial uh, is taking place um, today. Benjamin Netanyahu has tried his damnedest to to get this out of out of the courts by uh, attempting to stack and influence um, their version of, of the Supreme Court. Um, but it's, it's you know, a positive step forward in terms of, you know, trying to get this uh, corruption case resolved and just another issue that Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu are facing um, internationally. You know, it's uh, tragic, but we have to recognize that part of the story when we look at Israel and Gaza um, is about the political survival of one guy, Bibi Netanyahu, who has been a dominant figure for a quarter of a century uh, in Israeli politics. Uh, The whole debate last year over judicial reform was part about his wanting to get more power, but it was also about him wanting to defend himself against these charges uh, of corruption that have been credibly made against him. Uh, in this trial, he's trying to do exactly what Trump did. His lawyers came up today and they said, hey, you know, we should probably be meeting on this twice a week, uh, which would draw it out. Uh, the, the government's lawyers have said no, or the judges said we should do this four times a week. Um, but we are quickly coming to a head in both the trials of Bibi Netanyahu and with regard to the situation in Gaza, um, because if that situation comes to a close, uh, there will be no emergency reason to keep him on as prime minister. Uh, and it is widely believed by Israelis that he will then lose that position and lose some of the protections that position affords him um, uh, vis-a-vis the courts, or at least his power to meddle with the courts. Uh, So it's a big story to watch. Um, It is corrupt as hell. Uh, And for Americans who've been watching Trump's story, there are clear parallels. Uh, Riley. So a little bit more about kind of the spinoff of the Israel-Gaza conflict, and that is that three commercial ships were hit by Houthi missiles in the Red Sea. Um, and during the same assault, a U.S. warship shot down three drones uh, in self-defense during an hours-long assault on Sunday. Um, so this isn't the first time that the Houthis have targeted ships uh, in the Red Sea since this conflict broke out. But it is an escalation, and it's the first time that they attacked multiple targets in kind of one assault. Um, 
And they've claimed responsibility for only two of the attacks, but uh, the U.S. military and intelligence have, have suggested that all of all three of the missiles were from the Houthis. Um, Iran has uh, yet to directly address this, but their foreign minister has warned that the region will enter a new phase of the war if the current situation continues. So, you know, concerns about this conflict expanding to a regional one, I think, are well-founded. Um, this is certainly a reason to be concerned, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, David. Well, first of all, when you say Iran has not, uh, you know, commented directly, Iran has commented directly. Houthis are a proxy for Iran. What they're doing um, is they're uh, part of Iran's foreign policy. They want to make the risk of a regional war um, a, a, a looming possibility because they think uh, that that can constrain the action of the Israelis and the United States. Um, having said that, there was a very good piece by um, Alan Pincus uh, in Haaretz in which uh, you know he said that not only is Netanyahu not listening uh, to um, Biden's admonitions about containing the effects of the war, uh, but he expects that very soon Netanyahu will start blaming Biden for the ineffectiveness of the Israelis in terms of achieving their overall goal with regard to Hamas. But he also said that he feels that another move of Netanyahu's will be to try to escalate this, try to produce regional conflict with Iran and its proxies, uh, again, as part of Netanyahu's effort to stay in power and to advance an agenda he's had for a long, long time. So you're absolutely right. This is something to be worried about. Um, uh, we are at great risk of this escalating, even as the toll the war takes uh, climbs and climbs, um, passing, according to credible sources, 16,000 dead in Gaza, 70% of whom are women and children. Uh, so, uh, you know, this this warrants our attention as well. And, you know, the, this, this Israel-Gaza thing and the Ukraine thing underscore the need for countries like the United States to be able to handle more than one thing at a time, because this is the way the world works. Chris? Some news out of COP28, Bill Gates's Terra Power uh, nuclear company and the UAE have signed a memorandum of understanding uh, to further develop nuclear technologies to help combat uh, climate change. Um, the move toward nuclear uh, is supported by over 20 nations um, and, you know, is a, is a significant development, um, you know, for a country that depends entirely on fossil fuels. Um, but with that said, I'm pretty disappointed in the coverage of COP28. While a lot of media outlets uh, have sections dedicated and articles dedicated to the summit, um, it does not uh, ever appear above the folds. Um, so, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll continue to pay attention and we are obviously, uh, paying close attention to what's happening at COP28. Um, so stay tuned to DSR Daily and all of our other podcasts. Yeah, we're going to continue to cover this closely. We realize that, you know, the number one issue in the world is keeping the world safe enough for all of us to live in it. Um, but uh, you're right. But that's also always true with COP. It's always true with this process. It's been going on um, for a long time now. It tends not to get much coverage. 
Uh, the organizers have, uh, you know, touted that so far $57 billion uh, has been committed to various programs within COP to help merging nations, to help uh, fund for uh, climate disasters and other kinds of things. Uh, so it is not that nothing is happening there. The vice president of the United States was uh, in Dubai for several days. Not only did she participate in the COP meetings, but she also uh, had meetings with regional leaders associated with the uh, Israel-Gaza uh, war. Um, uh, uh, John Kerry is there for the United States. He has been uh, playing an active uh, role in trying to move things forward. Um, and so this is a two-week meeting. We're, you know, in, you know, just uh, sort of into the first half of it. Um, uh, and I expect we'll hear more out of it. Uh, but it's worth, you know, going below the fold, looking it up, seeing what's happening, uh, and ultimately understanding that the United States' role in this, for those of you who are Americans, um, uh, is very different under the Biden administration than it would be under a Trump administration, uh, you know, and as we saw, uh, a, you know, a Trump administration is focused on um, uh, uh, almost anything but fighting climate change, you know, uh, digging up national lands, uh, uh, you know, producing more energy, even though we're the world's lead leading energy producer, reducing incentives for uh, 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 green uh, 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 energy, uh, electric cars, and so forth. So uh, it's very important to watch. Uh, and uh, this story is, is going to be a complicated one in the year ahead. You know, they're I think there's 73 elections around the world in the next year. Um, and uh, for all of them, this is going to be a central issue. Riley? Well, I, I hate to talk about Trump, but I did see kind of an interesting story that I wanted to hear your thoughts on, David, which is seemingly a new strategy for Trump on the campaign trail. Um, he characterized Biden as a, quote, destroyer of democracy at a rally over the weekend. And I thought this was, this struck me as interesting simply because one, I feel like one of the Biden and Democrats biggest points against Trump is that he's a clear and present danger to democracy um, between everything he said, the 2025 project. I think one, one of the Democrats strongest case is Trump's danger to democracy. So I think it's fascinating that Trump is trying to kind of flip the script and turn this on the Democrats Specifically, he was referencing the numerous legal case against him, trying to tie them to Biden, saying that it was a political hit. Um, and the full quote was, Joe Biden is not the defender of democracy. Joe Biden is the destroyer of American democracy. So I don't know that this is necessarily going to stick with anybody beyond the base of core believers, but I'm curious your thoughts, David. Come on. You're not curious my thoughts. You know exactly what my thoughts are. You know, <laughs> um, And you shouldn't be surprised at hearing what you know Trump um, is saying Trump is all about projection. You know, the next thing Trump is going to do is accuse, you know, Joe Biden of being a fat orange uh, real estate developer with two idiot sons. Um, because, you know, whatever is Trump's, you know, vulnerability tries to project it onto Biden and onto the Democrats. Nobody with a brain, you know, is going to buy that Biden is, is the enemy of democracy when Trump is out there actively promising the many ways that he would undermine it. Uh, but 
as you say, it plays with the base. Right now he's going into primary season, playing to the base um, is what you do during primary season. And look, as insane as it sounds that this incredibly corrupt 91 time, you know, indicted on 91 counts of crimes, um, uh, failed twice impeached uh, uh, ex-president's strategies are, he's going to be the nominee. You know, absent some crazy thing, this kind of insane overstatement, lies, it works with the base of the Republican Party. The question, and I think something very, you know, interesting to watch, and we talked about this with Simon Rosenberg on the pod last week, is what does it do to um, the 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 two, three, four, five, six, eight percent of the Republican Party who consider themselves traditional Republicans, Liz Cheney Republicans, her book is out now, um, and you know, stirring up some conversation. Uh, it's not going to affect the outcome of the primary, but if those people vote for Biden because they recognize what a danger Trump is, it's not going to be close in November. And Trump's going to go down, and he's then going to spend the rest of his life uh, in, in court. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Um, but the tactic is not a new one for Trump, nor is it one that is uh, not working. Uh, Trump's boy, Viktor Orban, um, who is not the prime minister of Turkey, by the way, uh, he is the Hungarian prime minister, uh, appears the set to be pre- the former president. Will, will be happy to, to have the clarification, <laughs> since he he can't he can't seem to remember it. But yeah, go on. Uh, Mr. Orban is set to block, or at least it appears he's set to block um, Ukraine's uh, accession to the UN. Um, EU's EU leaders are meeting on December fourteenth and fifteenth. To vote on that, um, unless, as this article points out, uh, Viktor Orban exercises his veto power. Um, seems that when it rains, it pours. Uh, with regard to Ukraine, um, Viktor Orban is a bit upset because the EU is holding back $13 billion in funds um, over um, rule of law concerns. Uh, I We'll see what happens. Seems po- like posturing to me, um, but you know, time will tell. Par for the course, just like the Trump story was par for the course, just like the Bibi Netanyahu's course story was par for the course. Um, this is par for the course for Viktor Orban. We know these people already. They've told us who we are. We should believe them. Um, and uh, you know, we're not going to get rid of Orban anytime soon. Although. You know, if he continues to operate the way that he has, I think there will be discussions in the next couple of years about who's in NATO, who's out of NATO, how we deal with countries that are just not with the program. Uh, I think that's a conversation that's warranted with regard to Orban. I think it's a conversation that's warranted um, with regard to uh, Erdogan. But we'll see uh, over the course of the months and years ahead. Uh, and we'll cover it because we'll be here because we've been here for a long time and we'll keep doing it. Uh, and each and every day, we invite you to come back and join us here on this pod and all of our other plot, pods. Uh, our spy show pod today uh, features Valerie Plame, who you may have heard of in the past, former CIA uh, operative who was uh, outed, uh, her cover blown by uh, the uh, 
vice president of the United States and those working for him uh, during um, the Bush administration. Uh, and um, uh, we will talk to her about um, uh, a number of critical issues with regard to intelligence. Uh, and each and every one of the podcasts we've got coming up this week is uh, equally exciting. If you If you want to go back and listen to one from last week, uh, and I thought the one with Simon Rosenberg was real good. Go back to listen to the one on Friday in which we talk about the applications of AI in the Israel-Gaza war and what that may mean for the applications of AI in the future. It was a fascinating, chilling discussion. Uh, John Wolfstall and I had as our guest, Joe Serencione. Don't Don't miss that one. Until then, uh, thanks, Riley. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye.